The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 92 of the Book of Mormon podcast. Kevin and Shelby here. Hey y'all. <laughs> we're here as always. <laughs> I don't think we're ever going anywhere, hopefully. The Lord willing. <laughs> um, we were talking though before this podcast, actually we were saying a prayer. We always say a prayer before a podcast. And I had a thought to... Those who listen regularly, um, some of you, we know who you are and some we don't. Um, but regardless, we're really glad that you do come and listen every week on the Book of Mormon podcast. So we would invite y'all to share this podcast with somebody that you think would like hearing conversations about the Book of Mormon um, and the stories and the, the narrative, really. I feel like we've been doing a pretty good job at following the narrative lately. And so if you know someone who would like to hear and enjoy that conversation, share it with them this week. Um, send them the link. Send them, I don't know, we have an Instagram, Facebook page, direct link, however you listen. Um, and we would really appreciate it. And so if you're new listening to this week's episode, welcome. <laughs> we're here and we're excited that you joined and accepted someone's invitation. And this week, we're in Alma 2, Alma chapter 2. So, Kev, where do we want to begin in Alma chapter 2? Right at the beginning. Of course. <laughs> Honestly, when I asked the question, I <laughs> knew what his reply was going to be. Right at the beginning. So, last week, obviously, we had a conversation, went through Alma chapter 1, and... Uh, a couple things happen there, and we are going to see the ripple effects in this next chapter from those events. Mm -hmm. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Yes, it's the fifth year of the reign of the judges now. All the stuff we talked about last week was in the first year, one first year and second year, I believe. Yeah. Now we're jumping to the fifth year. And and after those events, peace persisted for about three years up until, I guess, the fifth year. All right. Lead us, lead us off, Kevin. What's happening? Well, so first things first, last week, as we were finishing up the podcast and, and publishing it on all the platforms for people to listen to, I realized that we discussed what well, we we talked about Nehor, mm -hmm. but then we forgot to mention how Nehor isn't named until pretty much he's sentenced to death for his crime of killing Gideon. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that there were two possibilities. So as to why he wasn't named. Right. Mm -hmm. The first possibility, which kind of goes into some of our previous discussions about, you know, this is this was a record that 
was being hammered out on metal plates. So there's no backspace. Once you write something, it's written. So if whoever was uh, hammering on the plates, probably being Mormon, or if he was taking from a record and just hammering, uh, I say hammering, I don't know exactly how he uh, wrote writing. on the plates, Did right? You say writing. Yeah, but I just kind of like that imagery. <laughs> <laughs> but when he was writing down on plates, he could have been using a uh, another source and maybe he knew that it was Nihor, but he kept omitting the name. Mm. And then he realized that he had never mentioned the name. And so he had to go and say, and by the way, this guy's name is Nihor. Mm. <clears throat> However, in this situation, I don't think that's the case. There's some uh, discussion out there that Nihor is actually a title uh, placed on this man. And the title uh, could, it, it may be um, Jaredite in origin, right? Uh, just how I think also Korahor was also believed later in the Book of Mormon, another the third antichrist that is named in the Book of Mormon. His name is Korahor, and that name is also Jaredite as opposed to Nephite or Hebrew. Um, not to get down into the nitty gritty too much, it's possible that he, they placed a title in in place of this man's name. Now, following the thread of that, you may you may ask yourself, well, why is that important? Later on in the Book of Mormon, throughout the Book of Alma, there's a lot of talk about the order of Nehor, after the order of Nehor, or some of these people are just referred to as the Nehors. And so the, the fact that they're using this as kind of a, a title or a description as opposed to a name, I think that may be a reason why his name wasn't mentioned at all. He, they, they didn't name him. Now here's, here's, I know I'm talking a lot, but here's all my thoughts this week. In our society today, in the Western civilization, um, those who like, there's a belief that we should not name or publish the names and pictures of like mass shooters people who commit dastardly crimes. And yet we do, we put their names and their photographs and we even have full blown documentary series on Netflix about them. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's basically doing exactly what they wanted. They, they want to be known for their terrible crimes. Otherwise they wouldn't have done it. Right. Nihor, what was his desire? He wanted to be known. He wanted to be, uh, he wanted to have the uh, esteem of the world. Mm -hmm. He wanted to get money and support for that. And he dies a shameful death. So the fact that the scriptures don't say his name is almost like, hey, we're not going to give you the pleasure of having your name immortalized in scripture 
Instead, we're going to put a title on you and the people who are like you. Interesting. Hopefully I did a fair job explaining my thoughts about that. I'm taking that from a couple different other sources. Obviously, our good friend Jared on Unshaken Saints. <laughs> uh, if you want to go back and listen to his Come Follow Me for Alma 1, I would definitely recommend it. He goes a little bit deeper into some of the theories or whatever you want to call them about the name Nihor. And uh, it actually really ties in well to our chapter this week. So, um, and I'm just going to go ahead and talk about that real quick. So yeah. at the very beginning of Alma chapter two, here's another guy, right? In the fifth year mm -hmm. of the reign of the judges, there began to be a contention among the people for a certain man being called Amlicide. He being a very cunning man, yea, a wise man as to the wisdom of the world. He being after the order of the man that slew Gideon by the sword. So that means he was uh, after the order of Nehor. Yeah, uh, literally. <laughs> and also he was probably into priestcraft, right? Mm -hmm. And they're still not saying his name. <laughs> and they <laughs> don't title. They don't they say, say they don't say Nehor and they don't say this guy's name, who we know is Nehor in, in chapter one, but they do name Amlicai. Mm -hmm. Now, he's referred to as a certain man. And whenever you see a certain man or a certain woman in the scriptures, that denotes a familiarity or that they're a particular person. And what I take away from that in this verse is that Amlicai was a well-known man among the people in Zarahemla, insomuch that he goes on to cause quite a stir and he gets a lot of people behind him. Yeah. Okay, I'm done talking for a little <laughs> while because okay. that was a big, long stretch of Kevin. <laughs> That's okay. You had a lot of thoughts to share and teach about. Um, I'll just go ahead and keep sharing this, this, the narrative, you know, what we're learning in Alma 2. So Amlicai, uh, he, very powerful, and he, it says, and they began, well, he's drawing people to come with him, okay? And they began to endeavor to establish Amlicai to be king over the people. Now, I'm always going to refer back to this because King Mosiah was so divinely inspired to set up the reign of judges because we're in the fifth year now after King Mosiah has died, passed away. And here's a man desiring to be king over the people. So it, it just, I just keep thinking back to King Mosiah and, and his leadership at the time over the church. And you see in verse three that the, the first sentence after it says he desires to be king, it says, now this was alarming to the people of the church. They didn't like that um, at all. And it says, for they knew that according to their law, that such thing must be established by the voice of the people. Because King Mosiah did add, if there ever be a king, I think he said that, that it should be chosen by the voice of the people. Or am I making that up? I, I, oh, 
No, no, I'm making that up because it's talking about the persuasions of Amlici and his followers. Um, and I think that has something to do with the order that they're talking about, establishing the voice of the people. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I let, Let's look at that verse. Mm -hmm. So I think you're combining a few things, but it says... Yes, it was alarming to the people of the church that this guy wanted to be king. Mm -hmm. And the people who he drew away also wanted him to be king. Right. So he's got a little little following. Following. For they knew, meaning the, the people who were being alarmed, that according to their law, such things must be established by the voice of the people. So the um I don't know if it's that a king needs to be chosen by the voice of the people, but the person in charge needs to be established by the voice of the people. Because gotcha. King Mosiah, he said, nobody should be king. Well, so here, here's more insight in verse four. Therefore, if it were possible that Amlici should gain the voice of the people, he being a wicked man would deprive them of their rights and privileges of the church for it was his intent to destroy the church of God. So that gives us some insight there that. So you think that maybe Amlesai, he knew that, hey, if I can get the majority mm -hmm. of the people, the voice of the people behind me, I can really do whatever I want. Yeah. I think you're right. I think I'm right because the spirit testified <laughs> in verse four. <laughs> sure. Why he thinks he can do it. That's why I think so. I don't think it's me that's right. No, I mean it's, it's just me understanding the scriptures. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward now yeah. that now that we look at it. It's interesting that it was his intent to destroy the church of God. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, what does that have to do with just having the voice of the people? And I wrote in my margin, the church, uh, specifically the church of Jesus Christ, is a liability to the wicked. People are happy and faithful when they are keeping commandments mm -hmm. and it, it keeps them like not reliant on the, the wicked people of the world or the kingdoms of men. Mm -hmm. I like that. Very, very insightful. And I like that. It sh well, because I like that because it shows the intent of the wicked, even though it even says the intent of Amlesai, you know, to destroy the church of God. But it's just, it's good to think about. Um, In verse three, it's also cool that it says they knew that according to their law, such things must be established by the voice of the people. So when things come up that kind of go against what you believe, that's why it's so important to have that firm foundation or what we call a testimony to ground us in our beliefs. Because if we don't have a testimony, somebody could come in and say, and, and persuade us differently from what we know to be right. Mm -hmm. Well, verse five, all the people come together throughout all the land. There's a lot of people. Um, and it says, every man according to his mind, whether it were for or against Amlesi, in separate bodies, having much dispute and wonderful contentions one with another. So, and in, I'm going to go ahead and read six. It says, they assembled themselves together to cast in their voices concerning the matter 
and they were laid before the judges. So five, six, and er, yeah, five and six. <laughs> I think it's very interesting that it says every man according to his mind, whether it were for or against Amlici. And in my margins, I wrote uh, war of war, war of words. Like that is what happened in pre-mortal life. <laughs> we had a war of war words, not actual fighting with the sword. Um, we had to choose in our minds who we wanted to follow and support. And the same thing's going on here. And they are disputing um, and having, quote, wonderful contentions one with another. So that was also interesting. Do you have any insight on the wonderful contentions? We talked about it briefly this week. Yeah, we did. But to be honest, I cannot remember. And if we don't remember, then maybe it's not expedient. <laughs> well, luckily, I wrote it down in my oh, scriptures. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's interesting, that word wonderful yeah. before the word contentions. Contentions, like contention we know is of the devil. So right. how can it be wonderful? Well, I, wa I wonder <laughs> what exactly that word wonderful meant. And, oh, yeah, that's right. and of course, lately I've been going hard on when I see a word in the Book of Mormon that either sticks out to me, I just go ahead and look it up in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary to get that original definition, if you will. And it's pretty much the same as the word is today, you know, astonished, right? Astonishing. But I think because the reason I think this is because the spirit led me to the Joseph Smith history when it talks about a great excitement mm -hmm. on the subject of religion. Now, in this context, it's not a great excitement about religion. It's a great excitement about politics, mm. though I think it's safe to say that religion was at the core of what's going on here because, I mean, Amlicide's intent is to destroy the church of God. And so there has to be some sort of um, contention going on there. But I think it's more of an excitement. You know, everyone's getting an at-bat on, you know, hey, are we for Amosai or are we against him? And those who are for, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about how he needs to be the king. And the people who are against him, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about how he doesn't need to be the king. So there's this, this wonderful contention uh, all throughout the land. That, that made me think of a scripture because right now we're learning it's either one side or the other. You're either basically for Christ and the cause of Christ, um, or you're against it. You want to destroy the church. And there's a scripture, and I am blanking on it. Um, but basically, that scripture talks about you either choose to follow the Lord, Jesus Christ, or you choose the opposite like it's one way or the other yeah you're and i'm completely summarizing that scripture are you thinking back into when nephi says she you know it's um the church of 
the Lamb of God or the yes. Church of the Devil? Yeah, I believe so. And I wish I would have wrote it down, but I just had thought when we were talking, so it's okay. But I was going to try and find it, but I cannot find it, so it's fine. But my point is that here we are. He is, it's just, it's, are we going to follow him or are we not going to follow him? So they all gather together to cast in their voices concerning the matter. And what's the, what's the outcome, Kev? <laughs> it's in verse 7. So it's just, by the way, it's in First Nephi chapter 14, I believe, is where it talks about there are two churches, the Church of the Lamb of God and the Church of the Devil. Um, you may look that up. But the result of this contention and this, you know, every man according to his mind, says in verse 6, they uh, thus they did assemble themselves together to cast in their voices concerning the manner, the matter. Oh, did you already do that? Yeah, it's oh, okay because you were looking at the scripture. Um, I said they, they tested their democracy to see if it worked. <laughs> and it does. Right. Um, the voice of the people came against Amlici that he was not made a king over the people. And that goes back to what King Mosiah said. He said, listen, if if it were possible that all your kings would be righteous men, it would be expedient, even preferable, that you have a king, that you have a monarchy. But the Analysis proving their, his point that there's occasionally going to be a bad apple. You can't risk that because it's going mm -hmm. to cause the people to be wicked and be destroyed. <laughs> and so, um, obviously, the people who <laughs> were against Amlici, you know, didn't want to destroy the Church of Jesus Christ. They're very happy. However, here's where it gets really crazy. Yeah, this is like it's almost like. We're not even, no, hold on, I'll get there. But Amlicite, the people who are following him, it says those who, who were in his favor to anger, I'm sorry, he did stir up those who were in his favor to anger against those who were not in his favor. That's just a fancy way of saying they were upset, so they all got together and got angry at the people who voted against him. Because obviously the majority said no, because that's the only way it would have worked for him not to be king. So this is a minority people. Granted, there are a lot of them <laughs> because there's a lot of people um, in general living in all these lands. Uh, but the majority of the voice of the people still chose righteousness over wickedness. So we still got some hope there, but they're not having it. These minority people, they're like, no, 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 no. We are going to make him king anyway. It goes back to the old layman and lamiel thing, like this this mindset of, well, it doesn't matter what the Lord says. It doesn't matter what Nephi says or our dad says. Um, we're just going to do what we want because mm -hmm. we have we have uh, we have enough power to try and force our will. Yeah, our will on the situation. So in verse nine, it came to pass, uh, Amosai loses the election, okay, that they who were in favor of Amosai gathered themselves together and did consecrate Amosai to be their king. And that's just so, it's like stiff-necked, right? I wrote that right next to the verse 
And that's why I thought of Lehman and Lemuel. Very stiff-necked. They didn't get their way, so they just dismiss the laws of the land and they do what they want. And, oh, that, that kind of person is just, it, they're an, I mean, they're an anarchist, right? Mm-hmm. But it goes beyond that because now they uh, go and they, they fight actually a war against the Nephites, against the people um, who, by the law, won the election. It says at the end of verse 10, and this he did that he might subject them to him. And in my margins, I wrote, uh, this is him trying to take away their agency and enforce his will and bind them as Satan would. Satan would have you not have any agency um, or any choice in the matter, really. And so he's trying to do the same thing that Satan tried to do in the very beginning when he opposed Heavenly Father's plan and offered like a suggestion to it, right? Yeah. So uh, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Falling after Satan's tactics are the same (laughs) and he has the same tactics and you can find them in the scriptures. But the, at this point, the people of Amalekite, they're called Amalekites. So that's what we're going to start calling them. And the people who follow God are now called Nephites. I think that is, I think that's expedient that it's there for two reasons. So we can follow the story a little bit better, you know, and just to distinguish, hey, this is what's going on. And for writing purposes, too, of telling the story, reading it back. But but it's not just Mormon saying, hey, by the way, going forward, we're going to call the people of you know, Amlicite, Amlicites, and we're going to call the remainder of the people Nephites. It says the people of Amlicite were distinguished by the name of Amlicite. So they, what they did is they took upon his name, they took his name upon Mm -hmm. themselves, as opposed to the name of Nephi, who was a righteous man who, who followed after the, the way of God. Right. Right. So they're choosing another, some other way. They're choosing the church of the devil. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they're doing. And so they go to war. They're preparing to the Amalekites. It says they did prepare to meet them. Well, the Nephites, they're aware that, the, that these people are rebelling and revolting, right? And so they prepare to meet them. Uh, they arm themselves with swords, scimitars, bows, arrows, stones, slings, and every manner of weapons of war. Of every kind. (laughs) And it says, and thus they were prepared to meet the Amalekites at the time of their coming. And there were appointed captains and higher captains and chief captains according to their numbers. So we're working with a lot of people here. And I, and I don't think we realize that until we see how many people actually end up losing their lives. Um, But there, there's a lot, like we're talking tens of thousands of people on each side here. This isn't just, okay, 500 and 500 people. <laughs> it's a lot of people. So I want to point out something, at least from the narrative. Okay. The people of Nephi, the Nephites, they, because of their, their awareness of the intent of the Amlicites and their ill will toward them, they're the first ones to start amassing weapons of war. Right. Mm-hmm. They're then prepared to meet the Amlicites 
at the time of their coming. So, well, maybe, maybe I misspoke then. Maybe it's that they know that the Amalekites are, their intent is to come up against them to battle. So they start preparing. Mm-hmm. They had to have some foresight. They had to be, um, you know, they, they can't just be, the Nephites have been doing this forever though. The Nephites know to keep an eye out for the Lamanites, for somebody coming to try and take away their land and their liberty. And so, well, we, we know that that was their intent. Cause in verse 10, it, they're made, he's made their King and he commands them and that they should take up arms against their Right. Brethren. Right. Okay. So they do know. I just thought at first it was interesting that, that the Nephites are the first ones to start getting together uh, weapons, mm-hmm. but that's just a response to the Amlicites hostility. Yeah, and, and they got to, they got to uh, protect their families. I mean, they're not going against them because they're <laughs> angry at them. Right. You know, they are like, okay, well, if that's how it's going to be, we got to protect our families and the church of God. So they put in all these ranks and things. So just as, the Nephites prepare, the Amlicites also prepare, prepare, sorry. (laughs) And it says that Amlici, he also did, this is in verse 14. He did arm his men with all manner of weapons of war, every kind of every kind. And he also appointed rulers and leaders over his people to lead them to war against their brethren. So we know that the Amlicites also take some preparation and we read that in verse 14. So they're getting ready. for this big old battle and they have this battle the the geographic location is interesting i read up on it i would not be able to really teach about it be something i'd have to keep studying over and over to be able to teach it but um they come up to battle upon a hill um hill and nihu i think is how you say it um, and it gives the location, it says, which is east of the river of Sidon, which ran by the land of Zarahemla. And there they began to make war with the Nephites. So we're at war. And Alma, who's the chief judge at the time uh, and the governor of the people of Nephi, he goes up mm-hmm. with his people, yea, with his captains and chief captains, yea, at the head of his armies against the Amlicites to battle. And, you know, he's just, he, Alma is really, I don't know what the right word is other than, you know, he's participating or or taking his responsibilities in a very noble lineage of leaders who go out at the head of their armies they're not in the rear conducting the war. They're right there at the front. And, you know, whether that means that they're literally right there at the front, I think it's, it would be kind of silly to have your main guy up at the front where he could get killed so easily. But I think if we want to look at it figuratively as well, it's just that he's not at the rear he's not back in Zarahemla um in in safety he is putting it on the line for his his 
liberty and the liberty of his people and also the the church mm-hmm. so the i can't i i just i can't help but think right now where's christ <laughs> in this conversations in the conversation we're having right now about wars and preparation of wars well we're about to get there really quick but <laughs> okay let's do it then <laughs> Because I, right, if you read, I mean, we're, we're up to the 18th verse in, the, in this chapter. And I mean, there's definitely been the mention of the church of God mm-hmm. and his servants and those who are opposed to him. And then we get to verse 18 and it says that, well, in 17, it talks about that they, they began to battle. In 18, it says, nevertheless, the Lord did strengthen the hand of the Nephites, that they slew the Amlicites with great slaughter, that they began to flee before them. And this is the promise that the Lord made to Nephi uh, and and his posterity. Um, I linked it back to 2 Nephi chapter 5, verse 25. And the Lord God said unto me, they shall be a scourge unto thy seed to stir them up in remembrance of me. And inasmuch as they will not remember me and hearken unto my words, they shall scourge them even unto destruction. So that's the opposite, I guess, of what would have happened if, if they didn't. So it's almost like implicit that the Nephites are a righteous people. Otherwise this like, the Amlicites who are in a way stirring them up into remembrance mm-hmm. of the Lord. Um, they're, they're being proved, right? The, the Nephites are being proved and they put their faith on the Lord. Otherwise the Lord wouldn't have strengthened them. I like it. I go ahead. It's funny. Cause I, I linked that and I thought it was going to go back to one of the many <laughs> verses, which said, Inasmuch as you shall keep my commandments, you will prosper in the land. Inasmuch as you do not, I'll cut you off. And it was interesting that I I linked it to this aspect of the same promise, of the same covenant, because let's face it, the Amlicites are doing, they don't know it, but they're instruments in the hands of the Lord too. They're Mm -hmm. causing the Nephites to remember the Lord their God put their faith in him so that they can win. Which teaches you something about your own life, the opposition in your own life, right? That that opposition is expedient for you to become and remember your savior, right? Remember him and why you're here and what you're doing and your purpose. And I did want to point out that we didn't we didn't read this you skipped over it but in 17 when they began to contend with each other when they first started um the amlicites came upon the nephites with great strength is what it says that a lot of the nephites actually began to fall before the amlicites so we're seeing some of the nephites die i mean they're they're still getting hurt (laughs) um And so then we read in 18 that nevertheless, even though some are dying by the hand of the the Amlicites, that the Lord does strengthen them, that they begin to 
overpower them so much that they flee. And I just want to point that out because sometimes, even though we have a promise of, you know, in as much as you prosper in the land, you know, you shall be blessed. Sometimes it's not always happy. Like no one's ever going to die thing, right? It's, Sometimes it is expedient that someone passes away by the sword because then that sword, that that blood that was shed will come as a testimony against these people at the last day. I, th- I talk about that a lot, but I think that's expedient at times for people. And anyway, everything's expedient in our lives, I think is what I'm getting at. So just wanted to point that out. Um, but we know that they begin to uh, flee the Amlicites. And it says in 19, and it came to pass that the Nephites did pursue the Amlicites all that day and did slay them with much slaughter insomuch that there were slain of the Amlicites. This is when we learn how big this battle was. These are people who were slain of Amlicites, 12,532 souls. It's a lot of people. And of the Nephites, 6,562 souls. So we had a lot of people pass away from this, all because the Amosites just didn't get their way, <laughs> right? They, they were trying to destroy the church of God and seek after the riches of the world. And those numbers, they put into perspective that this was not just a, a trifle between two groups of people. It was a civil war in the land of Zarahemla. Yeah. You know, and just um, the just 12,000 plus what 6,000 even. So yeah, that's just, already 18,000 people. Right. That died. So think about those who lived. Yeah. So I would at least double it probably. Anyway. Lots of big <laughs> big war. <laughs> so um in 20 it came to pass that when Alma could no longer pursue the Amlicites, um, he went ahead and told everybody to stop, pitch because they don't have anybody to fight anymore, I'm assuming, <laughs> like he couldn't pursue them. And they pitched their tents in the Valley of Gideon. And and it's the Valley of the of Gideon who was slain by the hand of Nehor. Uh, and so that's where they that's what they do for the night. But they don't just rest. Alma sends spies uh, to go, his own spies, to go upon the Amlicites to find out their plans of how he can protect his people. So he wants to go see what their intent is. Always trying to know their intent, right? And I like it says in 21 that he might preserve his people from being destroyed. Alma's intent is always to help and to bless and to save. It's never to hurt or harm um, anybody. But unfortunately, they have to, to protect the people. And the spies, they report back to Alma, and lo and behold, the Amlicites have thrown in with the Lamanites. It says in verse 24, we followed the camp of the Amlicites, and to our great astonishment, in the land of Minion or Minyon, not sure, or Minon, <laughs> above the land of Zarahemla, in the course of the land of Nephi, 
we saw numerous hosts of the Lamanites, and behold, the Amlicites have joined them. They're upon our brethren in that land, and they, our brethren, presumably, are fleeing before them with their flocks, their wives, their children toward our city. And except we make haste, they obtain uh, possession of our city and our fathers and our wives and our children be slain. So um, now Alma kind of pivots and uh, they, they went and it says that the, the Lamanites and the Amlicites being as numerous almost as it were, as the sands of the sea came upon them to destroy them. So now just tons, like this is a great enemy host uh, coming up against the Nephites. But again, in verse 28, the Nephites being strengthened by the hand of the Lord, having prayed mightily to him that he would deliver them out of the hands of their enemies. Therefore, the Lord did hear their cries and did strengthen them. And the Lamanites and the Amlicites did fall before them, which is just, so this is like mind-blowing okay let's just like pause for a second and talk about this because you have two people two groups of people who have now aligned themselves the amlicites and the lamanites they don't like the church of god they don't the contention runs so deep the hatred runs so deep right we talk about that a lot and so now it, it it's like it almost seems if I were fighting this war, it would seem like all the decks are just stacked stacked against me. You know, like, can we catch a break? Like, I don't know. I, that's kind of the thoughts I'd be having if this were like a, a trial in real life or something. Um, and it's just so key that they always turn back <laughs> to the Savior because the Savior he strengthens them like those words he strengthens he hears them and because of their faith and and not losing that hope when it seems like all is going to be lost <laughs> the lord delivers them and he comes through because they've been doing what they should and so it just really teaches me that whatever you're going through it may, it may seem like the the deck is just stacked against you and you just keep losing but i promise you're not losing if you're remaining faithful and you're remembering the lord he is in your corner and you will be victorious and you will definitely inherit eternal life <laughs> like that's the biggest blessing of all so I just, I don't know. I just think about that and I'm just like, it's just mind blowing what he's doing for the, the Nephites right now. You know, he's just really like, it's okay. I, I got you. You know, there's still, you're still going to go contend <laughs> with people, but I'm going to strengthen you and I'm going to help you. Yeah, for sure. I, I appreciate those thoughts and, and I just, Every time in the scriptures, specifically the Book of Mormon, when it talks about that as a result of the people's prayers, mm -hmm. the Lord preserved them. It's such a faith promoting story in any 
any situation. And there's, there's a lot of people who would dismiss prayer, especially today. It's like, you know, prayer doesn't help. Helping helps. <laughs> I saw that. I saw this meme actually the other week and it was just like, it just, it kind of um, dismissed prayer. Obviously you have to couple prayer with action, you know, but you're not relying on the, the flesh of your arm. When you act, you're relying on the strength of the Lord to work through you. And also your faith has to include, Hey, I'm still going to be faithful. Um, if this doesn't go the way that I want, Mm -hmm. if the people of Nephi had not had a victory over the Lamanites and the Amalekites, they needed to be prepared for the bondage that would be the result. Mm -hmm. Right. And it would have been awful. But I guarantee you that the, there would be survivors who continued in long suffering and patience and, and faith until the time that the Lord did deliver them. Mm-hmm. And that period of bondage, that period of defeat was expedient or would have been expedient for them. Um, we've talked about that just in this episode earlier, like mm-hmm. these things that happen to us, they are for our gain. Because here on the earth, everything is for our gain, anything that we go through. I remember the scripture. Oh. I remember now. Good. It is 2 Nephi 2.27. And earlier I went to 2 Nephi 27.2. I don't know why I didn't think to flip them then, but I just remember now. It is, wherefore, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man. And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. If I could pick a scripture, I know we're not at the end, but to mm-hmm. summarize Alma chapter two, it would be second Nephi two twenty seven. And to me, it just sums up everything that happened. They had a choice. They're free to choose, and everything that happens is expedient. Anyway, I remembered it. Spirit reminded me. (laughs) Awesome. So So, finishing finishing out Alma chapter 2, it comes to pass that Alma fights with Amlicai with the sword face-to-face. And they contend mightily one with another. And it says that Alma, again, (laughs) being exercised with much faith uh, and being a man of God. Man, if if in the book of Stanfield, (laughs) they describe me as being a man of God, being exercised with much faith, uh, then I'll be happy. (laughs) He cries saying, O Lord, have mercy and spare my life that I may be an instrument in thy hands to save and preserve this people. Mm -hmm. Shelby, you just said earlier, like that's Alma's whole thing. He wants to be a help to his people. He Mm -hmm. wants to preserve his people. Um, Something that surely he learned from his father's example in the land of Helam, Mm -hmm. right? 
like being a good shepherd, like yeah. for sure. Um, anyway, when Alma had said these words, um, he continues to contend with Amlesi, and he was strengthened insomuch that he slew Amlesi with the sword. Mm-hmm. When I read that, like I had no issue with Alma slaying Amlesi by the sword. Like I wasn't like, oh man, he should have spared him, you know, whatever. But immediately I thought to link that back to First Nephi chapter four, when Nephi slew Laban. Dude, we're the same. We're unified. Was it verse thirteen in First Nephi? 4? Well, yeah, twelve and thirteen. Yeah, I thought the same thing. It, you know, behold, the Lord slayeth the wicked to bring forth His righteous purposes. Mm-hmm. It is better that one man should perish than that a na- that a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I didn't have any issue with Amosite being slain, but I were backed up with scripture that this mm-hmm. was a righteous slaying. Yeah. Just justice. It was justice. It was just. It was is right. yeah, that's it. And he also Alma then goes after the king of the Lamanites too. Um but he gone. But he <laughs> Yeah, he gone. No, he. The king flees back uh, before Alma and sends his guards instead to contend with Alma. He doesn't want to go face to face with him. Maybe because he saw what just happened with Amosai. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he's like, "No, nah, I'm going to send my guards." And so uh, Alma's guards and the Lamanites' guards uh, they contend with one another, and the king of the Lamanites. Um, or sorry, I think I misread that. But Alma, this is 33, but Alma with his guards contended with the guards to the king of the Lamanites until he slew and drove them back. Mm-hmm. So he's still being strengthened by the hand of the Lord. And I mean, maybe you have some thoughts here and there about the verses to come, but basically from 34 through 38, you know, it basically just, it continues the narrative of that there's, there's this maneuvering mm-hmm. of hosts of people mm-hmm. and eventually the Lamanites and the remainder of the Amlicites are being pushed out of the land. Um, the land of Zarahemla is being secured and also the, the people um, who are friendly with the land of Zarahemla, uh, their lands are also being secured and basically the, the enemy gets pushed out into this, you know, kind of outer region infested by wild and ravenous beasts and basically they yeah it says in verse 38 that many died in the wilderness of their wounds they were devoured by those beasts and also vultures of the air and their bones have been found and have been heaped up on the earth Mm. and you know that's i would say that's the the ultimate destiny of the wicked right they're going to be pushed out of Mm -hmm. the land of inheritance it doesn't always seem like that when they're in full strength coming up against your your cities and driving your people and their flocks and their children and their wives before them but you know like shelby said you know, we can we can look at this chapter and 
we can just we do see the Lord in it from start to finish. He's the one that's watching over these people and he preserves them, he strengthens them because of their obedience, their faith. Yeah. I don't really have very many thoughts. Um, if you do read into the geography of it, it's kind of cool to look at. I actually went on Google Maps and like saw a view of the River of Sidon, I believe is what it is that they talk about. It was really interesting. It was surrounded by trees, very easy to cross type thing. Um, anyway, it was kind of cool. So if you want to go into that, um, like verse 35, it says, and it came to pass, they went and they crossed the river of Sidon. So, it, I mean, it, it wasn't a very hard river to cross. I looked at it on Google Maps today. So it's cool to look into that kind of stuff and see, and you can learn from it. But other than that, I don't really have any other thoughts about the last few verses. No, I just, I guess there is this one part in verse 34, and it describes them throwing bodies of the Lamanites who had been slain into the waters of Sidon, mm -hmm. that thereby they can cross. Mm -hmm. So is that like they're, they're like walking over the dead bodies across the river? It's, it's pretty gnarly, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, that, but that's just, you know, I mean, there are these details, these grisly details. And I mean, the, the whole book of Alma is just filled with wars and contentions among these people, mm -hmm. but it, it is also full of the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we've done that justice today for sure. Um, so that's all for chapter two. But in chapter three, we kind of, we're, when we continue next week, we're going to be learning about the repercussions, I would say, hmm. from this war. That, yes. That's how I would describe it. Um, some prophecies fulfilled, and uh, there's more wars. <laughs> and yeah, so we're going to read about that. Awesome. Surprise, Alma has lots of wars in it, but it's expedient for us to know. So I'm excited for next week. But other than that, no more thoughts from Shelby? Any more from Kevin? No. Cool. No. Until next time, um, please reach out to us with any of your thoughts, any feedback for us. Um, I guess we we need to figure out a way to get the word out a little bit better about our good friend, Samuel Robenheimer. Mm. He has been going strong on the Christ Center Conversations main channel, mm -hmm. which I think it's pretty easy to just look up Christ Center Conversations on Spotify at least. Um, but basically there's the Book Mormon podcast channel there's our conference talk channel from back in the day, uh, though we haven't had any conference talk episodes in a long time because we kind of put a, a, a break on that. But there's still tons of content over there. If you haven't listened to those conversations, Shelby and I uh, and some of our friends and family, we got on and, and we went through the whole uh, the whole april 2020 general conference we discussed every single talk and some 
of the October 2020 General Conference as well. I think at least like the first session or two before we kind of had to call it quits. We One podcast was enough for us. But now we are so grateful to have our, our friend Samuel, and he has a weekly podcast uh, on that main feed. So definitely check that out. We'll find a way to kind of in, kind of link the two in some way. But and I'll say this: if you like hearing uh, those who have accents, <laughs> the <laughs> most recent episodes have Samuel's uh, dad, who has a very thick, um, or I wouldn't say very thick, but he has a South African accent. So does Samuel a little bit. So it's kind of cool to hear them. Yeah, I like it. So just a little enticement to maybe go and listen to it. <laughs> it was really good. It was really good this past week. So we love the Robenheimers. Just giving a shout out to them. And uh, But other than that, nothing else from me. Um, have a great week, y'all. Bye.